1: Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today we're going to discuss effective ways to scale MarTech businesses. Joining us is Steve Pacross, who is the CEO of Verblio, which is a multimedia content creation platform that powers modern content marketers and SEO agencies. Verblio's network of over 3,000 US-based writers are subject matter experts in industries from astrology to zoology. And their easy-to-use platform offers unique flexibility, quality, and speed to businesses and agencies seeking reliable, trusted partners in developing content. And today, Steve and I are going to talk about leveraging freelancers to ride the content creation wave. All right, here's the first part of my conversation with Steve Pachross, CEO of Verblio. Steve, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Great to be here. Excited to have you on the show. Always appreciate having a listener of the Martech as our guest. I I know that you listened to some of our content where Todd and I uh, were talking about how to run a content business you not only run a content creation business, you have a podcast of your own. So, is there a better person to talk to about how to actually scale a business using content? Hopefully, we found the right guy. I hope so. Well, excited to have you and have this conversation. Let's start the conversation off by talking about the different ways that you see companies creating their content. Talk to me a little bit about how popular it is to outsource your content. Should you be in-housing it? You know, How do you think about the content production landscape?
2: I really see it in a few ways. So in every industry, you're going to get asked, who's your main competition? As an outsourced writing company, we like to think ourselves as a marketplace plus a SaaS company as far as how we deliver content creation. But in general, people are outsourcing their content creation to us. When I get asked the question, who's our competition? I'd say the vast majority of that competition is in-house writers. People who either are doing it themselves or are just not doing the content at all. I think that's the main part of the market. And then the rest of it is really highly fractured towards a lot of different, so many different freelancer opportunities and going direct.
1: I think that you bring up an interesting point here is that people are outsourcing content production because either they don't have the ability to produce the content or they're having trouble with scale. When you think about hiring freelancers as opposed to part-time workers or hiring a managed service, what is the different value exchange between going out and finding somebody to be a part of your team, hiring somebody who's an independent contractor, and then hiring a service to do content production?
2: The main categories that you're evaluating are your own time, the quality of the writing, the affordability, and then also the ability of the writers. So basically what you can do with those writers. So I think that when you work with an in-house writer, you have total command and control. So when you have total command and control, they're going to get your voice and they're going to repeat what you have. You can make them into a subject matter expert because they're there full time. So the benefit of that is outstanding. If you're most concerned about your own voice, that's great. The negatives of that is that you're always going to, first of all, it's the most expensive route. The second is that... You're basically creating the amount of content that you can write so you're writing the amount of content that each writer can produce per month as opposed to what you should write so what i mean by should is as you find more marketing opportunities if you can get more of an seo boost if you can close more of your sales funnel by doing more content or doing it in a unique way you're always going to produce based on the amount that that person is capable of doing and i think that the other advantage that i think is a little less obvious disadvantage is that that writer is going to write the same content again and again. And we find that our best content comes from highly motivated writers. And motivation comes from passion and interest, as well as other financial and career incentives.
1: It seems like the trade-off when you're thinking about bringing somebody in-house as opposed to finding freelancers or, or managed services to create your content is, it's kind of a dangerous word, it's authenticity. Right. If you need something to be from a specific tone of voice that it can only be written by someone that is in-house in your organization, like how do we describe our products or services, you need a very specific knowledge and a sense of authenticity. If you are writing a different type of content, like a blog post that is covering an industry topic, that does not necessarily have to be something that has to be written by an in-house employee. Do you find that MarTech companies or marketing companies are starting to use freelancers for specific types of content?
2: They do. And if it's all right, I'd like to break this down to kind of two types of freelancer options. So we're talking about freelancer as if it's one option. And I think the idea that's most prevalent in people's minds is like an Upwork, Craigslist. You go out into a marketplace, you see people's profiles, you go through them all, and they have the advantages of they're flexible, and you can get the long tail as far as expertise. And the negatives are they might not be there when you need them to, you might be retraining them again and again. The second type is really, there's the new movement that we think that we are a part of, that Verblio is, is creating a platform that really delivers uh, content writers as a service that is a combination of sourcing those writers for you and also delivering it as a platform so that... We're part of your management experience, and we're delivering content as your solution, as opposed to sourcing just writers for you.
1: Yeah, I think that there's potentially a different level of control there, though, isn't there? If you're hiring a service, if I'm going to go be a Verblio customer and I'm asking you to go not only find my writers but then produce the content for me, I potentially am losing a little control on how I'm going to guide those writers. How do you protect against the content coming off as? Something that is not necessarily a match
2: for the brand. To the previous question, there's different types of content. You have kind of your Ferrari content. This is going to be your clear thought leadership piece that only you can write, or you have to hire a super high-end writer in order to do it. The majority of most companies' content is what I call kind of more Toyota type of content. Like it's consistent, it's deliverable, it's always on time, and it's meeting a very specific purpose. I think that can be written by somebody with journalist training on one side. So you have to source the right writers which we do, we accept about 4.5% of writers who pass our test before they come in. And then the other piece is creating a platform where we're basically guiding as an intake form so much of creating great content is getting the ideas out of the thought leader or the subject matter expert into the hands of the writers with as little friction as possible. And that's how we think about our platform to do it. So I think the challenge of all outsourcing is it still requires a lot of you even to outsource. Even if you're paying somebody to do it, if you really care about it, you have to invest consistently to do so. So what we basically try to do is make that as easy as possible to download that expertise. We think if a journalist can write it, that we can write it for your company. And that covers the vast majority of content out there.
1: I probably should have asked this question first. And we're going a little backwards in terms of, all right, so you can go produce content yourself. You're going to run into cost issues you're going to run to bandwidth and scale issues if you're doing the content in-house and it's something where like when i worked at ebay content was at this scale that was really hard to comprehend we need millions of product listings and we need to make sure that those are seo optimized we need to go produce millions of pieces of content which is going to cost probably millions of dollars and maybe some of it's user generated content (UGC), and maybe some of it we're using the tax brokers and upworkers of the world in in managed service. Hopefully, Verblio today as well. I haven't thought about eBay's content production in a while. Then there's the flip side. There's small brands like mine, like the Martech Podcast, where we produce podcast content. Let's say you know we have a newsletter. We want to write more influencer type content, more thought leadership content for. A newsletter or our blog and i'm looking for a couple pieces of content a month but they have to be really high quality right they probably have my name on it time for a one minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor mutinex in 1919 john wanamaker said half the money i spend on advertising is wasted i just don't know which half well the advertising landscape has changed since then Then join brands like Samsung, Ing, and Asahi, who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mix modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at Mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X.co. Talk to me about the purpose of scaling content and why is scaling content so important? Not only for the enterprise brand but also for, you know, the little guys, the MarTech podcast and the growth stage companies as well.
2: Content if done right is really a dream channel. The idea is that you earn your traffic, you earn your organic growth, and it stays with you forever. Advertising is paid and is rented and goes away. There's been so much written about the value of content. I think when most people think about it, they think of SEO and just driving the organic traffic. And it's so much more than that. It builds that funnel. There's a certain amount of sales collateral that every company needs in order just to move people through your funnel. And so those are the basics, like you got your table stakes, which is at least create your core pieces of 30 to 40 pieces of content. So you're giving authenticity and authority to the clients that are coming to you or to the audience and that you can move them to become clients. Then you have kind of the next level. You have kind of like your ongoing blogs and things of that nature. We have a lot of those clients and a lot that we're just writing their show notes. We do their summaries. That's a consistent basis. Part of our value is getting their tone and also making it consistent. And then you have kind of how you create content as a competitive advantage, which I think is the most unique, interesting opportunity out there for leveraging a platform like ours for key marketers, which is if you could create as much content as you wanted at an affordable price for writers who understand your subject matter expertise and also your preferences, what would you do with it? Could you create a moat where nobody else in your MarTech industry is is anywhere close to you? Very similar to the way that Eloqua started off their strategy of just creating more and more content than anybody else. And nobody could catch them for a while until HubSpot came in and basically 10x the amount of content and came up with them. But it gave them a very competitive moat that they didn't have to invest in very much after that. So I think the dream of good content is that it has many halo effects. One is it brings more clients to you more cost effectively in an ongoing basis. The second is that it helps your sales team close them, helps establish you as a premium brand.
1: Yeah, content can really help you build reach. It can build authority. It also gives you something to say, right? It allows you to have a tone and a perspective which helps your customers think about how your brand is different. So when done well, it could actually increase your conversion rates The issue that I have is when you're thinking about building a content strategy, and I'll preface this with, I run a content business now as a podcast, I've run other content businesses that were my startups. I ran the guitar lesson startup that ended up being a content business, teaching people how to play the guitar. Content businesses can be great. Relying on SEO can take a long time and can be very uncertain until you've really mastered your niche. Talk to me about ways that content can be useful without having to rely on Google to get your customers for you.
2: So I think you just nailed a good amount establishing your voice and your authority when your audience is looking for you as you get prospects and moving people through the funnel. So I think that's one piece of it. The second, another piece of it is in general, reaching out to uh, using it for social media and using it for outreach in so many other ways. A lot of your podcasts talk about micro content, repurposing content. That all relies on actually having content in the first place, but I think it kind of naturally flows from that first question. So I think those are really kind of clear and well-talked about strategies or strategies and reasons content is important. I think another one that's kind of less obvious is how much it makes you have to think about your business and your audience. It's basically a forcing function to think more about your audience your clients and what's available to them. And what they're looking for. You're constantly trying to answer their questions. And if creating consistent content is a part of your strategy, I think it gives you a deeper connection to what your audience is thinking about.
1: I think you really hit the nail on the head where, yes, when you're running a content business or when you're using content as a marketing channel, organic content, ranking and SEO, filling the search demand is a very valuable channel. It takes time to cultivate. Generally can be very expensive because you need to have brand authority and a fair amount of content to actually make it meaningful. Content syndication is the second thing that you talked about, which is you can take your content and you can share it across multiple different channels. you can repurpose it, you make your long form content into short form content and you give it out as a teaser. I also think that there is another component here, which is having content supports your paid advertising efforts and What I've seen and done a fair amount of interviewing of people in the MarTech space, nobody wants to be advertised to anymore. You can use your performance marketing channels to circulate your content, which even though it's a sponsored piece of content is still seen as a piece of content as opposed to an ad. Talk to me about how you've seen people using content to start driving performance marketing channel improvements.
2: From our vantage point, so we have over a thousand digital marketers that work with us every month. So we get to see them. We get a courtside view of what they're actually doing with our content strategies versus what agencies are preaching that they do. So that makes me an expert in observing what these top digital marketers do more than it is in actually using these purposes, because I don't actually see where they take their content afterwards. So I think that's just an important kind of where my level of expertise is. The big trends that I've seen in the last six months since the pandemic, so you hit on the fact that. Content has only become more important as other channels went away, like event marketing and the like. And also that paid advertising became less attractive as nobody, particularly now, it can sound off-putting to do more paid advertising and more sales. So content's only raised in relevance. Some of the trends that we've seen since that happened is we saw a pretty giant influx of bigger marketers coming to us and making larger investments in their content marketing in the last five months. So our business is up about 25 to 50% in the amount of content that we're producing since April. It is all coming from mid-sized to larger companies and not from the SMBs. So SMBs in particular are struggling on the front lines. We know that story, and it's really tough out there. But it also means if you're in it for the long haul, companies are doubling down, tripling down on the amount of content they produce. They're also producing different types of content. So going back to this multi or to repurposing content. There is a lot more focus on taking existing assets and turning them into more apps, assets, taking large pieces, turning them into small pieces, small pieces of contents, turning them into eBooks, turning them into videos on top of that, turning podcasts into written content than ever before. As a way of, if you already have that existing content to make a more immediate impact, than you can do by starting your content creation process from the start.
1: And that's really, you know, going back to the title of this episode, Leveraging Freelancers to Ride the Content Wave. That is the content wave, right? It's, we've seen an increase in performance marketing budgets. People are holding onto their cash more, they wanna be more efficient. So they're starting to invest in content that has a longer tail in terms of its value, but also can be used across multiple channels. I guess the last question I have for you, we started talking about what are the ways you could use content, why you should use content. Now to me, the most important question is, well, how much? And really what I mean by that question is not only how much should you think about paying for content what's the ranges of rates but also how do you figure out how much content you need
2: It is really hard to measure the impact of content which has always been a struggle even when you look to the biggest guys you look at HubSpot whose entire business is the value of measuring content and the reason that it's hard to measure is cuz it's different for every industry like personal injury lawyers are much tougher space to get into than if you had your own niche and nobody else is playing there And then you also have the quality of the content is so variable. And then you have the distribution is so variable. So it's really hard to do a head-to-head comparison. The way I think about it is, first of all, there are other experts out there who I call digital agencies. And the agencies really, the SEO agencies, I think are the best people. And if you're a marketer and not leveraging the best out there who have seen these cycles much more, I highly recommend it. That's who we use. And that's who the majority of our clients are. I think there's really a few types of clients. How important is content to your strategy? You've got your classic kind of Rand Fishkin, T-shaped marketer, which basically shows that every year, there's more levels of expertise as a marketer that you need to be good at. And the smaller your company, there's only the less you can actually focus on some of those certain areas. So I think you have your keep the lights on philosophy, which is the minimum you should be blogging is four times a week. I think some of the experts in content marketing say 10 to 20 is really the next level. 10 to 20 blogs, white papers per month, getting it out there. Enhancing that content is more of a competitive strategy if you kind of want to be in the middle zone. And then the last question is, how much could you do? And so we have marketers with us that are customizing their own content programs. So we have a legal agency called rankings.io that focuses on only personal injury attorneys. And they basically said, if you can get a lawyer who's editing every piece of content and legal journalists who are basically creating that content, you can do it at scale consistently. 400 pieces plus a month, that would give us such an advantage in the industry that we can go out there and basically give every one of our clients such a competitive advantage that nobody will be able to compete with them. And I think that's really one of the more interesting trends. Could you get an engineer? Could you get an architect who stands in front of that really brings the next level of expertise with journalist writers who can produce it to set your company apart? So the amount of content really can go from like the lowest end, keep the lights on, just be consistent and make sure that you're respectable when your audience comes to find you, to getting found much more often in a multiple channel way where people are engaging your content at the way they want, to creating a customized program where you can really leverage this as your competitive advantage and use a freelancer platform in order to differentiate yourself and your business.
1: I think that's great advice. I think that content marketing is a great example of why marketing in general is not an art. It's not a science. It's a blended medium of the creative that you're putting together, in this case, the written word, and also the science behind it, you know, measuring and evaluating the impact that what your marketing efforts have on frequency, reach, conversions rates. And it's really hard to figure out not only where your content is being read, how it's being read, and who it's being read by. It is not an art. It is not a science. It is marketing. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Steve Pockross, CEO of Verblio, for joining us. In part two of our interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Steve and I are going to be talking about what to do after you acquire a MarTech company. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about steve you can click on the link to his linkedin profile in our show notes you can contact him on twitter his handle is Spockross. s-p-o-c-k-r-o-s-s or you can visit his company's website which is verblio.com v-e-r-b-l-i-o.com just one more link in our show notes i'd like to tell you about if you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our once a week newsletter. You can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J Schaap, benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P.